how's everyone doing? Good, right on. I feel like there's a little bit of a, a lack of energy in the room. Let's just, uh, how's that snow out there? Who's been shoveling? Raise your hand if you've been shoveling. Suckers, it's going to melt this week. You don't have to shovel. We can put the shovels away. It's totally fine to put the shovels away. I am confident that we can put them away, and it's going to melt, and we'll be fine. And those of you who shoveled, though, good on you, because it's good exercise. Um, so we, well, we, by we, I mean Chris has been going through a series recently, uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, called Knocking Idols Off Their Pedestal. And, and it's a series of, what, five or six different idols that uh, we... Um, deal with in our lives, and, and so far he's gone, we, we started with sex, and I noticed there were a lot of people in the crowd that day, um, and then we did power, and then last week Chris went through wealth, and uh, so this morning I'm going to actually continue that series, and we're going to talk about knocking security, the idol of security, off of its pedestal. And so I, I kind of want to just pray really quick to begin uh, before we get going. Uh, Father, we give you thanks this morning for this time that we can gather together in freedom, that we can gather here without concern about our security, about uh, the risks or anything like that. Lord, that we have total freedom of religion in this country. Um, I thank you that we can, as a community, gather and we can um, lift your name up, that we can pray to you, we can sing to you, we can talk about you freely. I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that um, as I go through this message this morning, that you would encourage all of our hearts, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, and you would encourage us um, in every area of our life. And so I ask that you would just speak, with me, speak through me and, and help my words to, um, to, be, to be from you. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Okay, well, so I'm going to be talking about knocking idols off their pedestal, and going to focus on security specifically. And as Chris has kind of covered over the last few weeks, first of all, to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about with this notion of idolatry, we're not talking about these um, physical chunks of wood or, or statues or whatever that the Old Testament was full of. We're actually talking about, um, well, I'll tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about things that distract us from following God in our lives. And... Um, an idol is anything that, that takes the place of God's work in our life. When we pursue something with more earnestness and more um, focus and more attention and more effort, more than we pursue God in our life, then that's rightly called an idol. Okay? Another way of looking at it is to consider anything that takes us away from living out the gospel. Now, at Grassroots Church, if you've been coming here for any length of time, you'll know that a very significant focus or very important focus of Chris's message and of our theology as a whole as a community is kingdom-centered, kingdom-living, correct? And so what we mean by that is, well, we like to think of everything in our lives as focused around this idea of living for God's kingdom. When we talk about the gospel, living out the gospel, we're talking about living out the kingdom of God to the world around us. And so practically, what that means is bringing peace and bringing hope and bringing reconciliation and restoration and healing to what we see as a broken world. Right? That, that's what kingdom living is. And so 
when we're talking this morning about anything that, distract, that detracts us from God or pursuing God, we're actually talking about anything that detracts us from living the kingdom here on earth, living, bringing the kingdom to the world around us here on earth. And so when we talk of that, when we think about our mission as Christians, what it means to pursue God, we're, we're talking about being agents of God's kingdom right here, right now. Our mission is all about bringing restoration to the world around us. And we need to think of this, we need to think of, I guess, all things in that perspective, in, in that light. And there are a million ways in which that is done. And God is a God of creativity and diversity, and he uses all of our gifts and our passions and, and our training and the things we're good at in life, and, and sometimes the things we're not good at in life, whoa, to, to, I have, yeah, that was, okay, there we go. He uses all of those gifts and trainings and all those things that, to, to bring, to, to show God's kingdom in our world, right? And that's what you're here for. If you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, that's what you're called to do. We're all called to do that. And so the idol of security then, as we address this idol specifically, is when security forces us to, or, or, or gets in the way of doing God's work, of, of living this kingdom living in our world. That's what we're talking about this morning. And, uh, and so Chris had laid out six principles related to idolatry over the last few weeks. And I want to start there. I want to look at those again, just kind of mention them, and I want to pay attention to uh, two or three of them. And if we can put those on the screen. So these are principles that are they're important to kind of to grasp and, and to understand in, in light of this context, in the context of understanding this, this, uh, this topic of idolatry. First of all, you and I were made to worship. And I'm not going to describe all these again because I know Chris has done that a lot. Um, we become like what we worship. God's gifts are good, but not as God's. Idolatry deceives and creates a market for itself. God's demands sacrifice. And idolatry's power results in apathy, destruction, and death. So, I want to take just a look at a few of these. I want, let's start with number three. God's gifts are good, but not as God's. And this is something that is so, so, so important in this discussion. When we're talking about this idolatry or, or the idol of security, we need to understand, first of all, that pursuing security, having money in the bank, having a game plan for tomorrow or, if, or, or when things go wrong, that's not a bad thing. That's a gift that God has given us. He gives us that as, having a, as, as peace of mind. That's something that's good. And so um, don't do what I've often done in my life in, in a very kind of like out of my zeal or out of my naivete. I've, I've thought, oh, I can't have life insurance. I can't have, uh, I can't give it, keep any money in the bank. I have to give it away. I have, you know, all this kind of stuff is just, that's not what it's all about. And you will just, hurt yourself over and over again. And you'll get a very warped view of what God is like, too, if you have that perspective. So the first thing I want you to understand is that God's gifts are good, but not as God's. Security is a good gift. Pursuing security is, is okay. I want to encourage you in that. It's okay. But just like sex is a good gift, and wealth is a good gift, and even power can be a good gift, the clarification needs to be 
to be made that when our lives become controlled by these gifts, right, they no longer are good for us. Or to put it another way, if we don't trust that God can provide our ultimate security and we are dependent on something that we do ourselves, that, if that is what gives you your peace of mind, then, then yes, security, just like any other good gift, can become a God. So, that's three. Number four says, idolatry deceives and creates a market for itself. Well, <sighs> deception is at the, I mean, at the, undermines all of idolatry, doesn't it, right? And, and the point is so prevalent in our culture. We live in a world that automatically assumes your default pursuit in life is for comfort and security. How many have heard that before? How many have been led by that before? Right? Have, have made decisions based on what our society, what our culture tells us is what we need to do. But most of us have at one point or another, right? And we pursue careers and, and, and jobs in this world not primarily out of a sense of fulfillment or meaning or purpose, but out of, well, will it pay the bills? Right? Will I be able to retire at a decent age? I mean, I can... I can sit behind a desk for 30 years as long as I can retire by, by the time I'm 65 and I'll have a decent pension. And th- that's how our society kind of dictates how we should live. That, and that is deception. That's a lie. Now, kingdom living flips this on its head. It doesn't deny the value of worldly security. It doesn't say, oh, this is all bad, push, push. You know, it doesn't do that. But, but those whose lives are governed by Jesus, who, who are in the know in, in terms of um, living for the kingdom here on earth, who want to be led by him and to work toward bringing that kingdom living, that, that healing and restoration to the world around us, those who are in that mode understand that if we prioritize our lives that way, well, sure, we may be blessed with the benefit of worldly security, but that's not the main goal. That's not what it's all about, is it? Right? And so the sneaky thing about security is that it actually comes across as noble on the surface. Think about the other idols we've looked at. Somebody who pursues sex with all their might, we call them creepy, right? Somebody who pursues wealth, well, that person's greedy. And somebody who pursues power, well, that guy's got, you know, he's egotistical. He's got, uh, he's got issues with his uh, self-esteem. He needs power. But, comfort, but security and comfort, well, that stuff just makes sense. We actually value that as something that's really good. And in the right context, it is. Don't get me wrong. As I said earlier, it's not a bad gift. But we say that prioritize, and our culture says that if we prioritize those, those things and we say that security is the number one thing we should be pursuing, we actually say, well, that's a good thing. That's, you know, that's respectable. It shows you know, that you're thinking ahead. It shows that you are, you know, you're ready. You're planning for tomorrow. It shows maturity and responsibility. Those are, those are all terms that we kind of associate with that perspective. And so then as a culture, because we have set this idol up, there's a market that flows from it naturally, which is what number four says, okay? Um, the world sells security in the same way that it sells sex and that it sells get-rich-quick or get, get-rich-quick schemes, right? It's... It's, a, it's a, a form that can be profited on. Um, 
Take life insurance, for instance. And I know there are life insurance salesmen in this room, so I will be careful as to what I say. I'm not against life insurance. I have a lot of it because of an upbringing I'll talk about later. Um, but there are life insurance policies out there for just about anything. Take, take a look at uh, Shirley MacLaine. Now, how many of you are familiar with Shirley MacLaine? She's an actress. Uh, she also is a prolific author on reincarnation and a lot of New Age stuff, um, including aliens. And she's actually taken a $25 million policy protecting her fortune against alien abduction. You can do that. If you wanted to do that, you can pursue that. Um, Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons' tongue. That guy. <laughs> Everyone knows his iconic tongue. Everyone knows the black and white makeup that defines Kiss. Apparently, when Kiss was at its peak, when they were the most popular, he had taken a $1 million insurance policy on his tongue. And also, that tongue is surgically enhanced. FYI, that has nothing to do with anything, but <laughs> it's interesting because it's disgusting how long the tongue is. Am I right? Okay. Um, here's my favorite one. Tom Jones's chest hair. <laughs> I'm scared to put this picture up for fear of causing all the women to start swooning in here <laughs> or, or dry heaving. <laughs> but this guy apparently... And I don't know, this is, I found this on the internet, so it's probably true. This guy apparently took out a $7 million insurance policy on his chest hair, which is hot. <laughs> and then, the last one I want to share is um, Dolly Parton. Now, uh, Dolly, uh, if you don't know, is known for her singing <laughs> and her acting, and she's also known for having really large tracts of land. <laughs> and apparently Dollywood is on a large property. I don't know. We know, what, we know what she's famous for. She's got a very large bust. And in fact, each of those breasts are insured for $300,000. So, <laughs> my point is that there is definitely a market for security in our world, isn't there? And really, I just wanted to put a picture of Tom Jones's chest hair up there. So, I got away with it. <laughs> um, okay, and then the last one, six, idolatry's power results in apathy, destruction, and death. Now, when we pursue security over what God is calling us to do through the breaking forth of his kingdom into this world, uh, we eventually become apathetic. Not, not towards security, but toward God and his mission. We start justifying our actions much more easily. We stop volunteering because we need to work more. Or, or we, we, you know, we decide we can't go overseas or we can't do this particular job for, the, for uh, God's work because of these other commitments related to ensuring our security is in place. And so eventually when we keep doing that kind of stuff, we stop caring as much about the work that God is doing. We become apathetic about it. And this is the power of any idol, any idol that we've looked at so far. When we pursue wealth relentlessly, the things that really matter in this world kind of drift away. When we pursue sex and power, it doesn't take long for some of these other things, the things that we actually are here for as Christians to be doing, to kind of just, meh, not matter as much. And so that's a very real threat that uh, security can bring, and it does bring. And I have experienced that. My wife and I have experienced that several times in our life. We've, we've compromised on areas in our lives where we, we shouldn't have looking back. 
And we realize, man, we, we really should have made this decision to help so-and-so instead of this decision that just guaranteed more security in whatever way. And, and I think most of us in this room can probably relate to a time or two that that has happened in your, in your lives. Um, Ron and I have actually been married for eight and a half years, and it is her 33rd birthday today. So did I say your age? I'm sorry. Congratulations, I get to... Um, <laughs> she still looks really young, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Okay. Um, we've been married for eight and a half years now, and if you knew the, the backgrounds that each of us came from, you would think, how on earth did they meet, let alone stay married for eight and a half years? Rhonda's family comes from, and I have to be careful what I say, I don't want to throw either side under the bus, so uh, let's just hope they never listen to the recording of this online. No. Um, Rhonda's family comes from a very, kind of, from my perspective, and, and it's maybe not the case, but from my perspective, a very laxadaisy kind of approach to life. They just go and live, and they don't really consider things like insurance or, you know, job security or any of these things. They just kind of go. And, uh, you know, for instance, a couple years ago, in 2005, they're living in northern BC and uh, in a small town, Terrace, BC. Anyone been there? Yes, oh, a couple of you, great. Um, small town, Ron has been there, good. They used to, okay, so they were up there, and most of the family was living elsewhere in the country, and they said, you know what, this won't do. So they went on a map, and they said, let's go to this place. And they chose Oliver, British Columbia, which is, you know, a beautiful place in the Okanagan Valley. It's relatively close to family. And, and no, at no point in their decision did, will we have a job, come into their question, or come into their decision-making. Or will we be able to afford a home there? I mean, it's in one of the most pristine locales in Canada. Are we going to be able to afford a home there? Those things just didn't matter to them. They were, and it worked out. And sometimes that does happen. And, and so Rhonda was kind of brought up in this kind of upbringing. How many can relate to a similar upbringing as that? Some, right. Not a lot, though. I think you probably relate a lot more with mine, which is more typical. I'm not to say one is better than the other, but my family was on the opposite end of that spectrum, okay? I was taught not to prepare for a rainy day, but to prepare for an inevitable Category 5 hurricane that will come. You don't just prepare for tomorrow. You prepare forever. Whenever there's an opportunity to protect yourself, you do it. If you have that extra money, you put it in that, you know? And, And so security, 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 that was what kind of dominated my upbringing. And... The truth is, neither of these perspectives were foolproof. Neither of these perspectives um, were, were flawless. And, and I'm sure Rhonda can tell you of times in her life that, you know, that perspective, that philosophy, or those values in life didn't work out so well. And I can definitely tell you of times when they didn't work out in my life. And so Rhonda and I have to continue to navigate through these waters of how do we trust God with these decisions in our life? You know, do we pull out life insurance for this purpose, or do we, and I keep referring to life insurance, security is much more than life insurance, I'm not against life insurance, as I said, um, do we, you know, take this job for, for uh, you know, the security that it provides, or, you know, do we move here because of this, like, all the big decisions in life, we have to kind of figure out as we come from two opposite backgrounds, and I think... That's a story of many of us in this room. 
Am I right? Many of us come from that kind of upbringing, and then we have to kind of come to our own decision on, on what is the priority, or how can we make these decisions on, on security. And so there's a cool story that I want to share from Scripture um, that, that, that just paints this awesome picture of what I'm talking about this morning. And um, It's a story of, of Peter walking on the water. And this story, I know, I know is used over and over again to show uh, trust in Jesus, right? Uh, if you're familiar with the story, we're going to look at it in a minute here. But this story conveys trust, right? How do you trust Jesus? And, and essentially, that's what we're talking about this morning. When we're talking about knocking off our idol of security, we're talking about how can we trust God? How can we pr- trust Jesus more with our lives, with this part of our life or that part of our life, right? And so let's take a look at this passage. It says, um, I'm just going to like, Read just the parts that are important. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I'm sorry, this is Matthew 14. Oh, it's on the screen. Okay. Uh, So he went up by himself on a mountainside to pray. But when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn... Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified because that kind of stuff doesn't happen every day. These guys are fishermen. A lot of them are fishermen. They hadn't seen too many ghosts walking on the lake in the middle of the night. So they thought, it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately says to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And I like to read that not as this like condemnation, like, oh, brother, can't you believe me? But as like a pity, like, ah. I want your faith to be stronger. I want you to be able to enjoy these, this experience. And, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is one of the most familiar stories in, in the Bible. I think most people who have never opened a Bible can probably talk to you about Jesus walking on water, right? And, and Peter walking on the water even as well. One version says that this happened the dead of night, like two or three in the morning, right before dawn breaks. So this, so picture this, like pitch black, the wind is blowing like crazy, right? And, and a lot of these guys are in the boat, or you know, they're seasoned fishermen, so they've been there, and they know, they know the uh, what to expect. Um, but or the, the, you know, they've been in these conditions before. One version says they can't even they can't even row their boat at all; they're stuck in the middle of the lake. John says they're three or four miles off the shore. Um, so then all of a sudden they see Jesus standing there and they think he's a ghost. I mean, that is a crazy story. Has anyone experienced anything close to that? Probably not. I'm, you know, I'm asking that rhetorically because it doesn't happen, right? Peter and the disciples are in this boat and there's this guy, Jesus, who they've been following. They've been seeing his crazy good, crazy miracles and his works for a while now. And he's standing there on top of water, illuminated probably, because it's the middle of the night, and 
they're, like they're blown away by this. And the first response is for Peter to say, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Notice he doesn't say, and I have to give it up to Matt Dennis for helping me out and clarifying this. We talked about this earlier this week, and he's, he brought this point. I was like, yeah, that's so good. And anyway, he doesn't say, hey, Jesus, I'm coming to you. And he doesn't just get out of the boat and go. He asks permission first, doesn't he? He says, Jesus, or Lord, he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus could have said, no, I'm, I'm the divine one here. I'm able to walk on water. You're not. Come on, Peter. No, he doesn't say that. He says, come, right? And, and so only when he receives that confirmation from Jesus does he decide to go. And I think a point can be made here um, that, that we're not supposed to simply forego security in our lives because of some great cause. There needs to be direction and there needs to be leading. God might call some of us to give it all up and, you know, throw caution to the wind and just abandon everything and go. He might, and, and he does. And I'm not saying that, you know, don't do that. If he's calling you to do that, awesome. But for most of us, he's just asking us to give up a little bit of security every day, a little bit more, to, to trust him a little bit more every day. Right? And, and maybe that direction and that leading presents itself through a restlessness in your heart or um, a feeling that you just can't shake. Or, or maybe it's the realization that a particular gifting you have can be used to actually benefit someone else and not yourself. If we have properly prioritized security in our lives, then I think we'll have the room to consider living lives that take us out of our comfort zone, that take our focus off of ourselves and our own well-being and toward others. And I know that none of us are exempt from this. There is a need to move more toward trusting God and away from trusting in our own systems and in our own securities. Jesus wants us to use our gifts and our passions and, and our training and our um, you know, things that interest us. He wants us to use all of those things to, he wants to take those things beyond the places of safety and control and into the sphere of the kingdom where he is at work. And he wants to use those gifts and passions and training and, and interests. He wants to use all those things, not for our gain necessarily, but for his kingdom's purpose. And we're Christians and we're called to do that. So Peter asks Jesus if he can get out of the boat and walk, and Jesus gives him the okay. And look at this picture. If we can put up this next picture. I don't know. It's so eerie to me. Notice the true test of Peter's faith is his stepping out of the boat. It's actually letting go of the hull of the boat and taking that step toward Jesus. That's critical. It's, it's this part right here. Letting go of that boat and going. And like I said, it's probably 2 to 3 in the morning. It's pitch black. And the Bible doesn't say it, but I, I imagine there are man-eating sharks probably all around them <laughs> that, you know, I don't know. In some of the versions, it probably says that. Um, and, and then there's this ghost-like figure suddenly standing there. Terrifying. And so I can picture Peter. He's kind of there, and he's got his, his feet overboard, and he's hanging on to the hull, and he's saying, Here I come. <laughs> Here I come. And he's looking at all the wind howling and the waves are crashing up against the boat. And 
steps out and he's able to walk on water. Talk about trust. Yeah, the passage goes on to say that he doubted when he was looking at the wind and the waves. But the guy let go of the boat and walked on water. We should give him props for that, shouldn't we? I would think so. <laughs> um, and so this picture, this picture of him letting go of the boat, to me is just like this profound image of letting go of the securities in our lives. You see, the boat represents security, right? He's safe in the boat. Well, relatively safe. He's safer in the boat than he is outside, right? He, he knows the boat. It has this firm foundation, a floor in the boat that he can, that he can be comfortable in, in, uh, in staying there until the winds die down. He could have done that. But he chooses to step out in faith to be near Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't in the boat, and Peter wanted to be with Jesus. And that's key. Peter, or Jesus wasn't in the boat. Jesus is not in the security and in the comforts of the boat. He's not in the security and the comforts that our routines bring, our day-to-day things that we, we default to because we're scared to step out of the boat, Right? He's out there and he's working in the world and doing all sorts of crazy things, crazy things for his kingdom that, are, that you and I are part of every day if we choose to be. And he gives us that choice. He didn't, he didn't say to Peter, Peter, um, it's your choice. You can stay in the boat or not. He just said, yeah, come. I'm offering this to you. This is, this is where I'm at. If you want to be with me in the midst of the danger all around me, come if you trust me. And so Peter comes. And for some of us, taking that step comes much easier, right? Some of us, I mean, some of us are just gifted with the gift of faith. I think, I think faith and trust is actually a gift that, that, people, that God has just given some of us. And, and there are people in this room who, who have done just like phenomenal things for God's kingdom just by letting go of the hall and stepping out. That's amazing. And I, and I think those are beautiful and those are inspiring people. But I'm not one of those people. And most of us aren't one of those people. And so we need to learn from those who are. We need to, you know, in many ways become like that. But the truth is, most of us have a really, really hard time trusting God with anything significant in our lives. Am I right? We like the security that the boat provides. We like security. Even though we might be tossing around in the storm, we know we're familiar with this boat. We know that eventually the wind's going to die down. We can row back to shore and we'll be okay. That's a lot easier to deal with than stepping out and walking on water, to carry on the metaphor. So, I want to maybe just, you know, the question is, okay, how do, we, how do we actually step out? How do we step out? If you're like me and you struggle with this, how do you eventually let go of the hull and just be out there without any security to fall back on? I don't know the answer to that, but I know maybe from my own practical experience, I can give you just a hint. Or just maybe, you know, maybe you can take it or leave it for what it's worth. But here's just something that, that I've been going through. Okay, Ron and I, um, a number of years ago, we were working overseas and we were doing all sorts of just awesome work. We were digging wells, we were working in orphanages and teaching and doing all this crazy stuff. And it was like really life-affirming, really just God-honoring stuff. And, and 
and that was awesome. And then, all of a sudden, we got pregnant, and we found ourselves back in Canada in Thunder Bay. And I said, uh, I need a job. And so I got a job at an office that isn't particularly in line with my gifts and my calling. And so I felt like, man, this is not something I want to do with the rest of my life. And Ron and I have talked about this so much. And so I said, you know, let's just leave. Let's just quit or whatever. And I was like, no, God's not calling me to do anything else right now. And there is a time in my life where I need to secure, provide security for my family. And, and so I'm sitting on the edge of the boat and I'm saying, God, I really want to step out there. But now I've got a kid. Actually, I've got two kids. And now I've got a mortgage. And I kind of need to provide for them. And, and I don't think I'm ready to just, to just abandon the hull, abandon the boat. I, I have to kind of rely on it still. And so Jesus doesn't just say, ah, I'm done with you, and walk away and find someone with more trust. He says, okay, we're going to work on this together. And so last year he puts in my heart, how about an internship at Grassroots? Hey, I can be doing a lot of the things I'm doing now, maybe stopping a few of them, which is necessary, but I can start working on something that I actually feel God calling me to. And so that's why I'm standing before you today is because, yeah, my hand is still on the hull. I haven't let go altogether, but God is saying, we're going to do this together. We're going to do it at your pace, and we're going to, it's, it's going to come out. And, you know, it's going to finish well. Trust me on this. And, uh, you know, just do this internship. This is a small commitment you can make right now. And it's going to work towards God's kingdom. It's going to do good things. Just trust me with this. And I think the point of that little story is, is that if God, if you're not one of those people who, who has the ability to just like pff, abandon the boat and, tw- and walk on water, like most of us, then maybe you can start with just something small in your life. Maybe just something little, something that doesn't seem super significant, but that you can just trust Jesus with and say, you know what, God, I can't forego these things in my life right now. I'm not at that point, but I can do this. I can, you name it, right? And I think God wants to work in each of our hearts that way, a little by little, each day, a little bit more each day, until we do gain that trust and we see his work in our life and we become confident that he, says, that he does what he says he's going to do, that he can work through us and that he can provide us with uh, the ability to, to, to be part of the kingdom work that he's doing here, right? That, that's my perspective on that anyway. I want to close with two things. I want to close with a story, and then I want to close with another activity that we did uh, that we're going to do similar to last week's. Um, The whole question of security and comfort uh, really came into focus a couple of years ago. In in the summer of 2006 for Rhonda and I, we were at Regent College in Vancouver. We were doing studies, and there was an evening lecturer uh, named Gary Hagen. How many have heard of Gary Hagen? If you have, you'll know right away that he's with International Justice Mission. And if you've read any of his books, I think he tells the story in probably all of his books because it's a really good story. And it's such a, again, it's similar to this Peter stepping out of the boat idea, but it's, um, it's a very practical story. And so he tells it, he says he was about 10 years old and he was on vacation up in um, Oregon. Yeah, no, in Washington. And uh, he, he was 10 years old. He had his brothers and his dad. And... Um, they would go on these hikes all the time. They'd just walk around and do these hikes. And, and he always enjoyed it when he was going on them. But he was always scared to go further. And yet he always did. And so 
they were at uh, Mount Rainier, which is this massive volcanic dome of, of rock and glacier just outside of Seattle. How many have been near there? A few of you? Cool. Um, the, now, Mount Rainier is this massive thing to behold. It, it creates its own weather, even. And even today, it, it takes the lives of those who, who try to get to its peak. Um, and so they were at this, at this, uh, at the, during, on this hike, and um, well, let me just find out here. Okay, so yeah, they're on this hike, and he, he did not want to go on. They had walked on this safe asphalt path up to the visitor center, and his dad is, and his brothers were like, hey, let's go up to the base camp. Because at the end of this asphalt path, the path just ended, and then there's this, treach- this sign that said, any hikers that are going on from here, beware of treacherous conditions. And it made the, it's like this huge list that Gary Hoggins says was, could only have been drafted by a lawyer. And, and he says it was like all these dangers that are told about what's, what to expect keep, you know, when you keep on hiking up this trail. And Gary Hoggins didn't want to go. The kid's 10 years old. He said, I don't want to go up there, Dad. And his brothers are like, let's do it. Let's go. And, and his dad is like, Gary, I promise I will be with you every step of the way. I will walk beside you as we go up. And Gary's like, ah, that looks boring. Because that's what 10-year-olds say. And so his dad's like, okay, well, and he goes, why don't I stay at the visitor center? And so his dad's like, okay, I, I guess so. And, you know, he tries and over and over and over again, and it doesn't work to convince him. So he says, you stay at the visitor center. We'll be back in four or five hours. Great. So Hagen, uh, Gary hangs back at, the, at the, the visitor center for a few hours. And at first, it's pretty exciting. It's warm. It's secure. It's safe. There is stuff that can keep his interest for a while. But after a couple of hours, the exhibits start to get really boring. Right? I mean, you can only look at these exhibits of mountain climbers and stuff so often before you kind of lose interest. And eventually, he starts getting sleepy. And he starts getting tired and and bored, and he just kind of regrets not going with his brothers. Well, a couple hours pass, and they all come back. And the story goes that, you know, they had rosy cheeks, and they're, they're, you know, they're they're famished, and they were just so tired, and they're scraped up, but they also had stories. And they just spent an amazing day with their dad on this mountain. And so then they said, Gary, how did you enjoy the visitor center? And of course, he said, oh, this is probably my favorite day of the vacation. It was awesome, right? You see, the story is such a powerful illustration of trusting God, of letting go of those securities that hold us back from doing something big, of spending our day, our time, walking with Jesus. That, that promise was there to Gary. Gary, I will be sure to be with you every step of the way. I'm your dad. I can do this with you. I, I want you to come with us. And Gary says, no, I don't, I don't think so, Dad. I, I'm cool. When he was in his early 30s, he graduated from Harvard. He'd become a very successful lawyer, lawyer in Washington, I believe. And he had done everything you are to do in life, as this world calls us to, or this world um, sets up for us. And so... He had a big house, he had his kids, he had his wife, he had his, everything in line. He had all of his securities 
laid out. And he came to the visitor center again, and he said, okay, I can keep doing this. I can keep going as I'm going now, keep accumulating wealth, keep, you know, putting money in the bank for our future, keep doing this and this and this, or I can find out where God is working and get involved with that. And so that story actually prompted him, that experience as a kid actually prompted him to start International Justice Mission. And, and today, that is an organi- International Justice Mission, for those who don't know, is an organization that seeks to rescue sex slaves and, and basically any form of uh, slavery in the world. The, when we heard this in 2006, he had said that uh, the organization grows, has been growing by two or 300% every year. So I, don't, I can't imagine how many are there now, but there are hundreds of lawyers and, and detectives and people who work in, uh, in legal matters who are in, employed in this organization, and they are doing phenomenal work all around the world because, in, in Christ's name, for the kingdom of God, because this guy decided he wasn't going to stay at the visitor center. He was going to keep going and trust God. And, and he says it's been a rocky journey. He doesn't deny that. And he says there's been times of doubt, just like Peter doubted when he saw the wind around him. For sure. Like, he'll be the first to admit that stuff. But look at the work that has been done because he actually trusted God in that. And, and so that story for Ron and I, and maybe for you this morning as well, has been such an encouragement. And we use that story in almost... Every major decision in our life, we always look back and say, okay, is this an example of us staying at the visitor center? Or is this an example of us trusting God and actually walking up this treacherous path, not knowing what's ahead, but just letting go of those securities and going? Now, I know we're almost out of time. We are out of time. Um, I'm going to do just a quick exercise. If I can get the ushers to uh, pass out a piece of paper. Joel is going to go ahead and do that. We're going to do something very similar to what we did last week. And trust me, we're not going to do this every week unless it works really well. Um, but if, if they can do that, then actually I should have had them doing that a few minutes ago because now I have to kill time. Um, you know what? I'll explain to you what's up. Oh, we're good. They're right here. I'll explain to you what we're going to do. And then when we do it, Boom. Here's what we're going to do. If we can go to the next slide. Uh, skip that one. I forgot. Yeah. So we're going to um, draw two lines on our paper. And then you're going to hand them in. And that's your exercise. See, it's not that, that hard, right? No. We're going to draw two lines on our paper. And on one end, if we can go to the next one, on one end, the first one, we're going to write visitor center. And on the other end, we're going to say peak, as in mountains peak. You can just, you know, it doesn't matter how you do this, just so you understand this. This is not going to be graded. And so on the first one, I want you to write a mark in that spectrum between being at the visitor center and walking up the path and pursuing what God's doing in this world, going up the, to the mountain peak, let's say. And so I want you to put a mark on there as to where you think you are right now. How much trust have you given God and how much are you holding back in your own, how much are you holding back in your own life? How much are you depending on your own securities, your own, um, your own work that's protected thing, yourself and your family? And so make a, just a simple mark as to where you are right now. 
And then on the second one, I want you to make a mark as to where you want to be in, say, two years. And it can be any time. It doesn't matter. But let's just say two years, right? In this walk with God that you're on right now, in this relationship with Jesus, where do you want him to take you in trust in two years? It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. It doesn't have to be, oh, I want to just be like letting go of the hall and I want to just be, whew, because maybe that's, maybe that's not what's right right now in your life or even in a couple of years. But I do know that God wants all of us to move a little bit, even a little bit toward more trust in him, less dependence on the securities of our world. So all of us should at least have a little bit of progress. That's my challenge for you. And we're not going to hand these papers in because um, I would probably just throw them out. I'm not going to lie to you. But I want you to maybe like take them home. And I want you to stick it on your mirror or on your fridge or something or, or somewhere in your house that you, you will be reminded of every once in a while to be like, yeah, this is, this is what I'm here for. This is what I should be pursuing. These choices I'm making right now maybe aren't the best choices in helping me to trust God more with my life. So that's it. That's the exercise. It's uh, nothing super complex, but it's just a some, something, something tangible that maybe you can bring home and just kind of like, yeah, this is kind of where I'm at. They don't have any paper over here. I blame the ushers. They were really worn down from handing out the collection plate earlier. So you can't, yeah. <laughs> they can only do so much. Um, yeah. And I'm gonna, as soon as you're done this, I'm going to call you back up. And then you can start singing away. <laughs> okay, are we good with paper over there? So I'll give you another 15 seconds and I'll just sit here and stare at you. If you don't have paper, use your head. And then when you get home, write it out. It'll work. All right. Um, I'm going to call Joel back up and the band, and we can, we can um, I don't think we have any paper left. Oh, you do? Wow, we got, we got a hidden stash here. <laughs> you need the slide back. Can we put that slide back up really quick? So um, we're going to close this morning with communion. We do this every Sunday, and, and those who are new, I'll just explain to you how we do this. Uh, this is a time of reflection. It's a time to kind of uh, collect the thought, you know, collect your thoughts and, and figure out kind of what God's saying to you this morning. And so um, how we do it is in, in somewhat of a disorganized line. We just kind of come up. We grab a piece of um, gluten-free gluten-free bread, and we dip it in wine, and then we return to our, our, our uh, chairs, and we, you know, sit and think, we sing, and we just kind of contemplate um, maybe what God's speaking to us about the securities in our world and, and how we can relinquish those securities. And so, um, you're welcome to the table.